Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Jan. Hello. What's your tagline? Cold mozzarella sticks. We're also joined by Sam Schultz. What's your tagline, Sam? Uh, Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Sari Riley has joined me as well. What's your tagline, Sari? Salty beans. Salty beans. Oh, salty beans. And my tagline is... E pluribus langsine. Wow. <laughs> no. We ran out of taglines. <laughs> we really hit bottom here. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts about this universe of ours. We're playing for glory, and we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but if we go on a tangent that the rest of the team deems unworthy, you'll be forced to give up one of your Sam bucks. So tangent with care. And now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from me. If you would like to receive compensation in exchange for your employment situation, there's just one system you should use, and it's not thanks or shoes or love or booze. 
A system of exchange that may seem a little strange, though it has no intrinsic value, under no circumstances shall you question what it's worth on every corner of the earth. If you want to get the things you need, you're going to need currency. Put it in the bank or in your under-mattress stash, your transferable, portable, lovable cash. Oh, that was kind of foreboding in a way, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Keep up the good work. so the topic of today's podcast is money which is not traditionally science but there's a lot of science involved in money and i guess sari can try to to define money but like that's not our expertise here no it's like especially not my expertise i would consider myself on the low level of financial literacy yeah yeah (laughs) you're that so money Like your poem said, it's a thing that we agree has value Mm -hmm. and we use it to make transactions with one another. It like has value, can be used to repay debt. So sometimes like you can generate debt by agreeing to give a currency or money in Mm -hmm. the future and you can save it so that you can have more a purchasing power later on. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's Bitcoin now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a number. Most of the time it's just numbers yeah. in a computer somewhere. Yeah. But all of those numbers in a computer somewhere, like in the bank, there is, is there a physical money there is that not. that corresponds? There's no. physical what? money that that corresponds There's not? To. There no. used to be. Oh. That was like the yeah. gold standard days. Oh, I thought even beyond the gold standard, no. we still had at least a dollar they for every dollar. They only have to keep 10 cents for every dollar they actually yeah. have. We what have a wonderful system. I believe bad. it's called fractional reserve banking. Yes, that's correct. Whoa. <laughs> Stefan, what's money? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like if you put $10 in the bank, the mm-hmm. bank can then give out like $100 or something like that. And then those people who get that money can put that money back into the bank. And then now that the bank has that extra $90, now they can give out an additional $900. Oh, that seems like it would lead to a big mess eventually. Well, it's okay you know. so far? It's okay so far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, why runs on banks are bad. Like, it's a wonderful life. Right. Because they don't have yeah, all the money. There's Not nothing there. there. Uh, that movie um, makes the vault is sense empty. But that's the thing, that now you don't need the money to spend the money. So it's not like you run to the bank to get your money out. Right. It's worth the mm-hmm. exact same amount if you buy it with a credit card or buy it with a dollar. Right. There is still sometimes runaway inflation in places, but running to the bank does not solve the problem. Right. The hope is that we produce the same amount of dollars as there is value in the economy. So in, in, a, in a way... If you create new value, which, you know, we maybe do by having a podcast, uh Um, and then (laughs) the government has to basically either just let that new value exist, and that sort of makes all money worth more than, or it has to create more money to match with the amount of value Mm. that exists. So theoretically, those are matched. Yeah, those are the same. Other, like if they're, and when they're not matched, you get inflation or you get deflation. It's not the Fed does. That is what the does Fed the Fed does. mean the Federal Reserve? Yes. Okay. It attempts to... Talking about monetary policy on a science podcast <laughs> is going to be fraught. No, so like don't it. take any of this <laughs> as as uh, gospel here. But the yes, the idea is that they are helping banks or like lend out money. They're basically giving banks money to lend out. And they vary the amount of interest that the banks have to pay. Okay. Basically, okay. right now, they give it away for free and have been for a long time. Is that bad or good? Well, it's been good for the economy. <laughs> okay. Um, but it does give us nothing to do if the economy goes bad again. Okay. They talk about this on NPR every morning, and I don't know what they're talking about. They talk right. about it for a long time, too. 
They do. It's, <laughs> it's important, it. but it's confusing. And actually, we're not even that sure how important it is. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can run the experiment again. Can you not even do the experiment like virtually because humans make so many decisions yeah, as part no, of it? It turns we out we're completely irrational. And the okay. idea, like <laughs> economics used to be like, we're going to be a hard science. <laughs> and they were like, mm. never mind. <laughs> People don't make hard decisions. My mom wanted me to be an economist. <laughs> yeah. I like that you would either have been like the best science communicator or the worst economist. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Sarah couldn't get through that without laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we won't be talking about monetary policy for any of the rest of it. My, my hope is that we're going to be talking about how we use science to make money, but we'll see oh, yeah. what happens. Wait, is there an etymology of the word money? There is. I did Ooh. two etymologies for this okay. episode because I found a fun one. So money comes from M-O-N-I-E, presumably pronounced money also, (laughs) from the old French money, (laughs) M-O-N-O-I-E, from Latin moneta, which is from the title that was applied to the Roman goddess Juno because her temple was where money was created. Or perhaps precious metal was stored in ancient Rome. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other good one that I found was salary. It's from the old French salaire, which is wages or pay. But it's from the Latin salarium, which is an allowance because it was originally salt money. So they gave soldiers Uh, either mm. money for salt or like chunk of salt. Presumably you could trade your... Salt for things? For non-salt yeah, yeah. Or were you just like a good trading putting it on your fish and now... No, salt was good. Salt okay. was valuable. Everybody wanted salt. But you were putting a little bit on your yeah, fish. Yeah, put a little right? on the fish. Yeah. You just lick it. Lick the salt. Okay. <laughs> Bite your the fish. fish. Lick the salt. Pass <laughs> the fish. Lick the salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And now it's time for... One of our panelists has brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real, and the other panelists have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which is the true fact. And this week, Sari is going to be getting the sandbox if we get it wrong. Sari, what do we got? Any monetary policy in here? <laughs> nope. I'm on Greenspan. <laughs> so basically, since there has been money or things with monetary value, mm-hmm. there have been counterfeit versions of that money. So mm-hmm. which of these is true? Number one. Starting in the 1950s, a type of counterfeit U.S. money called the Super Note was widespread. It was named for being a very accurate reproduction of $50 bills. This led to the first introduction of UV-sensitive thread and currency as an anti-counterfeit measure Mm. inspired by the glowing kryptonite from the Superman comics. Number two. One of the longest counterfeit investigations was a 10-year search for Mr. 880, who is nicknamed after their case file number. Some of the forgeries were pretty sloppy, but because Mr. 880 only printed $1 bills, they thwarted some tried-and-true investigation methods. Mm. Or number three, one of the earliest send-me-money email scams was letters in the 1800s that promised jewels from the hidden casket of a marquee in exchange for a small loan for travel expenses. Mm. Those that fell for the scam were mailed costume jewelry made from colored glass, which only some discerning rich folks identified as counterfeit. Why did they send them the thing? Why didn't they just run away? Not send them. Mm. Because then they could be like, I need more travel money. I found a different marquee. Maybe. Mm -hmm. So in the 1950s, we had UV-sensitive thread inspired by Superman kryptonite. Or number two, we had a counterfeit investigation for Mr. 880, who made $1 bills, but not very well. Or number three, we had an early send-me-money scam where you had to go investigate the hidden casket of a marquee. (laughs) That first one sounds fake to me because the super note that she mentioned was a 
type of meme video that happened on YouTube like a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what is yeah. it? Where you like you, you film get, yourself like yes. singing a note continuously and you had to go as long as possible without having a break in the tone. Uh, early meme days. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Who knows? And then know. you got your whole community to do it and you saw how long all of you combined <gasps> went. Did you do it? I don't know if I ever competed in a super note. Not too late. <laughs> it's not too late to go back in time and compete in the super note. It's 4,000 internet years too late. <laughs> Bring it back on TikTok and everyone will think yeah. you're so innovative. Yeah, that'll be my whole TikTok. It's just, ah. <laughs> okay. So this is what I think. Kryptonite wasn't invented yet in the 50s. Oh. Kryptonite was introduced in the radio serial The Adventures of Superman in the story The Meteor from Krypton, broadcast in June 1943. Oh. Oh. Holy shit. Oh, wow. It was early. Okay, well, then we I don't have any idea now. We have no yeah, idea. Have <laughs> I think that's what we're learning here. <laughs> what I know is that this is one of the earliest send me money email scams, and I know that people were doing scams as early as they could. As so if there was a, thing, a postal yeah. service, somebody was figuring out how to be like, send me $100 so that I can go to France mm. and rob a marquis grave. Yeah. So I'm going with that. When did mailing lists become a thing? Because I feel, <laughs> when I imagine old mail, I imagine you send a letter to your family or your wife who you left in Boston to go on the Oregon Trail or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like a very specific example. <laughs> Were people just like mass mailing? Because you, you need to mail random people if you're going to do this kind of scam. Hmm. I guess you could mail your friends. Or you get a hold of somebody's address book or you get a hold of like yeah. a bank's address book or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Also mailboxes where I don't know how the oh, mail system yeah. evolved, but like you can just put mail in anyone's mailbox nowadays. You can just put mail ah. in it. That is right. Oh, dang. And I, I thought you were going to say that that would be that it would be even earlier than that. Right. Like there would be one way before mm -hmm. that. So maybe it said be, one of the earliest. It yeah, didn't but even say the earliest. But Ooh. maybe yeah. like Hippocrates or something was like, <laughs> oh shit, I got scammed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, likely, likely. Mm. I bet Hippocrates got scammed. I think just because of the that maybe it's not the earliest one. Mm -hmm. Mr. Eight Eighty is too specific a name, I think, to not be the real one. That's my guess. Oh, Sarah couldn't think of a criminal name that cool. <laughs> Yeah. I just like the the one about the, the email scam. So I'm going to go with that one, too. All right. We'll see how we did. How did we do? Mr. 880 was true. Yeah. Oh, Sam. Good guess. Good <laughs> job. It's a very cool, weird story. It's the longest time, according to the internet, that I found that one person who was counterfeiting money evaded the Secret Service because huh. the Secret Service was founded as part of the Department of Treasury. Mm -hmm. Secret Service was counterfeit first, and then they sort of were like, oh, you should guard the president, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, they didn't have enough to do or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, a man named Edward Mueller, but his Austrian name was Emmerich Utner, who lived in Manhattan. He was like a junk collector. In his old age, when he was in his mid-60s, he lived with his dog and didn't have enough money. Oh, for his dog? To yeah, for his dog or him. <laughs> so what he did was make an impression of a $1 bill, and they weren't very good. George Washington's eye is a little bit wonky in yeah, it. And sort of up. Washington is spelled wrong. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad, yeah. What do you mean he made an impression? I don't really know. Okay. He As a boy... Him? He had a some carving skills, like photo uh, engraving. Mm. And then I so I think he like made an impression of the dollar bill to give the outline of what he should engrave and then 
probably like carved it out or cast it himself and, and then did some like small illustration. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Made his own template just for $1 bills. If you use high denominations, you're more likely to get caught. It's definitely when I hand a 50 to somebody, they're like, okay. Whoa, whoa. And they draw it with the marker. Take a look at this. <laughs> yeah. You get a 20 these days, I feel like. Yeah, 20s get the like, marker what? a lot too. What's the marker do? I think it shows up if you write on something that mm. isn't the material that bills are made oh, out of. I don't really know because I've never had it. them say, hey. <laughs> Wait a minute. The marker hey, did the thing it's supposed to do. Apparently the pen contains an iodine solution mm. that reacts with wood-based paper to create a black stain. Oh. And when it's applied to the fiber-based paper, there's Doesn't. no... Yeah. Huh. Interesting. The bill's a, some kind of linen, right? A dollar bill? Yeah, it's basically pants. Yeah. Oh, I have it in front of me. It's 75% cotton and 25% linen stock. And so he didn't even use that. He didn't use pants to make it. He used <laughs> just paper from the corner store. Oh. So when w- this $1 bill was sent to the Secret Service, they were like, who the heck is this? Like printing $1 bills so badly. This doesn't fit the profile of any other counterfeiters that yeah. we usually chase down. And also he spread out his spending of these $1 sure. bills across stores. Oh, yeah. I think because he felt bad giving businesses counterfeit mm-hmm. money. And so he would just like use it to ride the subway one day or use it to get uh, a cigar or use it to get yeah. some food for See, his dog. What a nice guy. And $1 could get, get pretty far back then, I mm-hmm. assume. Yeah. yeah. And by 1947, the Secret Service had collected more than $5,000 wow. of his $1. Whoa. And they only figured it out because his apartment caught fire for some reason. And so while he was staying with his daughter, the firemen were cleaning it out. And they threw away some what they thought was just garbage. But then kids pulled it out of the dump and were like, this looks like money. Uh, (laughs) And then their parents brought it to the police and were like, we found this money in this dumpster. And so then he got arrested. (laughs) (laughs) I would have got away with it, too. They they got him? Yeah. So they got him, but they only sentenced him to a year in jail. Oh, wow. A fine of one dollar. One actual dollar. One actual dollars. And he was released after four months to just live with his daughter for the rest of his life. What happened to the dog? Oh, the dog died in the fire. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, no. Wow. I didn't realize there would be that. I was like, the dog's fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, it suffocated in the fire. Oh, Oh. don't tell us. But it saved his life. Um, It saved his life? I think so. I (laughs) think it like let him know that there was a fire and so he could escape and go live with his daughter. So a super note is a real thing, but it's a very high quality counterfeit $100 bill Mm. made nowadays. And we don't have a way of detecting them really accurately. People are making super notes. Wait, what's the recipe? (laughs) Well, a lot of work and Ah. crime. Not my favorite. (laughs) And then the scam thing Mm -hmm. is an early version of the Nigerian prince email Uh scam. From what I can gather, they just sent letters randomly to rich people with lines like, sir, you will doubtlessly be astonished to be receiving a letter from a person (laughs) unknown to you who is about to ask a favor from you. And then like they go on and on to explain their circumstance. (sighs) It usually involved gold instead of jewels and nothing to do with costume jewelry. They didn't mail anything. Of course they didn't mail anything. anything. (laughs) You don't want expenses. You just want the paper, the pen. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services. These things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast asp- aspersions. 
dispersions. Yeah. Oil dispersions. One of those. Dispersions. Yeah. But it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if there's there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place. Decide what you do and don't want and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling <laughs> rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and ha- it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I buy more beans, <laughs> different kind of bean, I guess a, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of buy bean. cheaper beans with your expensive beans <laughs> yeah until i had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have <laughs> subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use that money for beans instead stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents that's rocketmoney.com slash tangents rockandmoney.com slash t-a-n-g-e-n-t-s SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Miriam Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. 
Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme, sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hello, we're back. Sari has two points. I've got one. Sam's got one. Stevan's got nothing. And now it is time for the Fact Off, where two panelists have brought facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. And Sari and I get to give our Sam buck to the fact that blows our mind the most. And competing against each other are Stefan and Sam. And to decide who's going to go first, here is your trivia question for the day. In 1943, the U.S. was badly in need of copper for ammunition, and the military turned to the mint for help. Rather than stopping the production of pennies, which would be the logical decision, (laughs) the U.S. mint issued pennies that, instead of copper, were made predominantly of what other metal? Stefan, you go first. Aluminum? Oh, I was going to say aluminum. I don't know any others. Uh, <laughs> I, I regret my tin. choice. Not tin. Oh, I have to think of more metals? Yes. Uh-oh. Ooh, lead. <laughs> nope. Uh, nickel. No. Zinc. It's not an element, if that helps the non-science Bra- gouge oh. at all. Brass, is that a thing? Brass is not an not element. It. That's good. Okay. What's well, one uh, that, like, is, that, like, everything is made out of? Is it Steel? in this room? Yeah! Steel. Steel, Steel is really important, too, for the wartime. Oh, yeah, but what did they make boats out of? They made boats out of steel. They just had so much. They just had they extra. Just, you know, just oh. a little bit of steel going Yeah, the but they make a lot of pennies. Well, Sam, do you want to go first? Oh, God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so as Sari said, for as long as there's been currency, there have been people trying to make copies of it. For instance, the Aztecs who used, is it cocoa beans or cacao beans? Mm. Or is it both? Cacao beans is a thing? Well, they use those as a form of currency, oh, and good. they had to be on the lookout for fake beans made out of mud. Oh. But as technology advances, more people have more access to more sophisticated means of reproduction. And that means that currency has to also adapt. It can't just be recreated with mud anymore. Mm-hmm. With increasingly complicated security measures, some are basically invisible to the human eye, but some are hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. So in the early 2000s, color Xerox machines had just been invented, and a group of students at Cambridge were messing around and decided to try to reproduce some money with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they put it in, and instead of printing out an image, of the bill, it printed out a page of text saying that they were committing a crime. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> but how did the machine know that they were committing the crime? Interesting. Yeah. So, this was like way before regular optical image recognition stuff. One of the students, Marcus Kuhn, set about trying to figure out what the heck was happening mm-hmm. and he found a pattern of five yellowish circles that appeared on British pounds of tons of different denominations and then discovered the same pattern on money from all over the world. Oh. Often the circles are hidden in images or patterns in the money. Like on the pound note he was looking at the circles were musical notes like the butts of musical notes whatever that is called Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and on the ten dollar bill in the u.s the zeros are the ten zeros behind hamilton's head like Mm -hmm. the tens make up the patterns so he did some testing and he concluded that the pattern of these dots the way that they were set up and the color of them was telling xerox machines and even some cameras and software like photoshop not Mm -hmm. to let 
this be copied or opened in any kind of capacity. He discovered this in 2003 and he named it the Urion constellation. And that name has stuck around because no official entity has ever acknowledged that this pattern exists. Hmm. All the companies that are involved with it don't say anything about it. And, but also other researchers have performed tests that make them conclude that that's not even what is stopping it from happening. Beyond that, since it seems like it's super illegal to even try to reproduce money, Mm -hmm. there are lots of different secret things built into home copiers and printers and computers Mm. that can stop you. Like, there's this article I was reading about some kind of new secret thing integrated into bills that somehow can, like, ping people that you're trying to do stuff. Like, your computer can be recorded if you try to open a dollar bill in Photoshop, like, in Creative Cloud specifically. Then you can get, like, a flag on your computer that you're up to no good. And also, if you get as far as to print the fake money out, printers have a faint yellow micro dot pattern on them Mm. that's unique to every printer. And Mm. there's a secret decoding method that people can use to figure out what printer printed the money and what time and what date it was all printed. So don't try to copy money because it's hard (laughs) and you'll go to to jail. Yeah. See, it's hard work and crime. Yeah. What what kind of constellation was it called? The Orion constellation. E-U-R-I-O-N because it was... European Union oh. Orion combined I think mm. was what he was thinking and nobody talks about it and nobody talks about it that's some Illuminati shit yeah there's like one leaked paper from the Indian government that mm. mentions it but it doesn't Whoa. really say anything about what it's for it just acknowledge, like it mm-hmm. accidentally acknowledges that they exist Whoa. are we gonna get in trouble for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> I think we'll be okay <laughs> Okay, Stefan, what do you got for us? So on the island of Yup in Micronesia, there's no limestone on this island, but they do have boats. So they would go to the nearby island of Palau, which was about 250 miles away, and they could mine limestone there and ferry chunks of it back to their home island. And they carved these chunks into giant coins, basically, with a, a hole in the middle so that they could stick like a pole through and like Rolling make around. it easier to lift. Mm-hmm. So the smaller coins could be like a couple inches wide, but the bigger ones could be up to like 10 or 12 feet wide and Mm. would weigh thousands of pounds. And this was all definitely happening for centuries before the 1700s. And there's some evidence that it may have been happening as early as 500 CE. But the value of these stones was not set the way that you would normally think. Like bigger is more valuable and there were no like set denominations. It was all based on the story and history of the stone. The individual stone. So if it was hard to get to the limestone deposit or it took a lot of work to mine it or Mm -hmm. they used more primitive tools or more Mm. people died trying to get it back to the island or even if famous people had done the carving or owned the stone at Mm -hmm. some point, all of that was factored into the value of these like giant coins. I like the idea that like they're worth more if somebody died. So you're just like (laughs) on your expedition to get your limestone coin and you're like, I'm going to need two of you guys to just... (laughs) Jump <laughs> off the you know, boat. It'd be best if you disappeared. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to die, but you can't go home. Yeah, uh, exactly. Or they could go get their own limestone stone and then come back mm. and be like, I got kicked off a boat, swam back to the island, got this Ooh, limestone it's stone. Very Extra hard. So much. Yeah. I swam back 250 <laughs> yeah. miles. With a rock. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so the the really wild thing about all of this is that none of it was written down. 
So they kept track of who owned all of these through oral history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stones were so big that once they got to the island, they just like put them in a place and then they stayed there. But if like I owned one and then I had a transaction, we would tell the village, okay, Hank owns this coin now. Right. Uh, and then they would like disseminate that information and then everyone would update their mental ledger of like who owns what coin and where it's that just like coin Bitcoin. is located. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is very similar to Bitcoin. And they didn't use these for like groceries and like small day-to-day transactions. It was like social transactions, like a wedding gift or like I accidentally burned down your house. Have one of these coins (laughs) as recompense. (laughs) But yeah, one of the reasons this is cool is because of how similar it is to Bitcoin. Just the basic rundown of Bitcoin is that it's a completely digital currency and all the transactions happen peer-to-peer. So there's no like central bank that Mm-hmm. keeps track of everything. And if you buy something with Bitcoin, the transaction goes into like a pool and then Bitcoin miners are using their computers to solve hard math problems. And if they solve the problem, then their computer gets to like organize the transactions into a block and add that block to the like public ledger of all the transactions that have ever happened. And so like one of the big similarities is that the value of these is like from the work that was put in to acquire them, which is different from how our currency works where the government just says, hey, here's the here are the pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. This one, you either had to like put in a lot of physical work or you have your computer for, for Bitcoins. You just have your computer put in a lot of math work. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, too, there's like a naturally limited supply. Bitcoin is hard coded to have only 21 million Bitcoins total. And the stones were limited because they had to go and trade with the island of Palau to like be allowed to mine there mm-hmm. and then transport them back. So it was a very limited supply until Europeans showed up and then had big boats and flooded the market. And we're both very good. You made it hard for us. Yeah, Ooh. they were both very good. Are you ready, Sari? Mm-hmm. Three... Two, one, Stefan. Whoa. What the heck? I was I was pretty sure I was gonna go with you. But why didn't you? Because it's like I love the the cultural component. Mm -hmm. We don't get that kind of science that often on SciShow Tangents. We we really don't. I love that. It's a soft science. Yeah. Well, yours had a good (laughs) cultural component too. Yeah. And technology. I like it. I like it because it reminds me of like the first dollar when someone starts a business. still have stories around money yeah. in ways. And it yeah, this dollar is kind of worth more than the other dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah, to like certain people. And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. And this one's from at Liz Pothier. Are plastic bills, like in Canada and Australia, more environmentally friendly than paper bills in the Ooh. U.S.? They're not paper bills, though, are they? They're, they're pants not, they're bills. Cotton. They're pants bills. Okay. Correct. So, but still, the, the question stands. I mean, I guess it's really about how long they last yeah. to some extent. We talked about how bad linens were for the environment. We did yeah. talk about that. It's just with clothes, yeah. I feel like they just, they're not good at being reused. Dollars are very good yeah. at being reused. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Three to 15 years is usually like the, the lifetime of a dollar bill, depending mm-hmm. on how much oil gets on yeah. it. Like mm-hmm. from us. Or pizza graffiti or things like that. Wipe Um, your mouth with it. It's a big waste product. In 2010, $5.95 billion or notes. So like independent bills Mm. were destroyed. So it's like billions and billions Mm. of these things shredded every year. So a lot of waste gets generated with the linen bills. But 
this seems like another is fake Christmas tree or a real yeah. Christmas tree better. Oh, yeah. great. Um, so. I feel this way about like every environmental question comes down to this. It's like, <laughs> better to do the dishes in the dishwasher or by uh-huh. hand? And it's like, yes. I'm like, well, then the dishwasher it is. <laughs> so there are arguments that the plastic bills are more durable than paper. Mm. And according to some studies, they last 1.33 times longer than paper yeah. or linen ones. And so they overall achieve a lower global warming potential as far as like a waste product that ends Mm. up in landfill or some reports have said that they're recyclable so because it's plastic a plastic polymer it can be melted down and like turned into more Mm. plastic objects Mm -hmm. whereas the paper stuff gets shredded and either just like burned or tossed into a landfill but all of these studies like to put an asterisk on them like a payday loan company conducted one of them or thing or like funded one of them and so all this is it seems like there's not a clear cut this is better than that but the european banks claim like they switched over from paper to plastic Mm -hmm. because like plastic is overall better for the environment Mm -hmm. but really shrug is money overall particularly bad for the environment i can't imagine it is credit card use is more this is again like with an asterisk that this is money companies doing the study. Credit card use is more environmentally friendly than actually physically like manufacturing Mm -hmm. a product because you're just moving numbers around in a computer instead of like creating Mm. a thing that then needs to be destroyed later. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Big money, which I guess is like the industry. (laughs) Big money. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can't decide between plastic and paper bills. Um, (laughs) That's what they call it. I mean, we're all really under the thumb of big money. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to ask the science couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at NaomiW246, at Nariu7, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this episode final sandbook scores sari with two stefan with two and sam and i tying for last with one kind of owning i hate being in last place (laughs) (laughs) makes me sick which leaves it at sari and stefan tied for the lead uh with 17 total points i have 15 uh and sam has 13 13 points I'm a joke of a human being. <laughs> it's the curse of the buck. If you like this show and you want to help us out, super easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. Also, we look to iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC studios it's created by all of us and produced by caitlin hoffmeister and sam schultz who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko matsushima our editorial assistant is Deboki chakravarti our sound design is by joseph tuna medish our social media organizer is victoria bongiorno and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on patreon thank you and remember the mind is not a vessel to be filled but a fire to be lighted But one more thing. If you or a kid or a dog swallow a penny that was minted after 1982, you might not poop it out. (gasps) Because these pennies are mostly zinc. They... (gasps)
pretty quickly erode in stomach acid and form compounds like zinc chloride, which can cause problems like stomach ulcers or oh. kidney damage. Whoa. So if it doesn't, if, if someone you know or you eat a penny and it doesn't come out and poop quickly or you have digestion pain, probably go to the ER or vet. Zinc's good for you sometimes, all right? Certain zinc is good for you. Certain yes. zinc is bad for you. Mm. Also just like high concentration. So yes. this is like dropping a chunk of metal into well, your stomach. Well, they should do slow-release pennies. 